Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. As always, just a friendly reminder, Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast. But if you want to do something nice, you want to help us out, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media, on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History, and on Twitter at Snapshots in. Well, congrats to the St. Louis Blues. Looks like we're going to have the St. Louis Blues in the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time since the 1970s. Actually, since 1970, I should say. And the Boston Bruins, they, of course, have been there a little bit more recently. I think back in 2011, they won the uh, championships, so that should be a good series. Really, really interesting how you look at the makeup of the St. Louis Blues and how they literally were the last place team and made it all are now making it all the way to the finals and really have a shot to win. But I do think it's going to be the Boston Bruins. That's just my prediction. Actually, to be honest with you, I'm kind of depressed about it because it'll just be another reason that my wife can make fun of me. She's from Boston. I'm from Washington. We got eliminated in the first round. So lucky me. But we've got Chris Felix part two today as Chris continues to dive into his time with the Sioux Greyhounds. We talk about some guys that different players that maybe didn't make the NHL, his experience throughout the league, also playing for the New Jersey Devils, like going to camp, stuff like that. So we'll cut to part two of our interview with Chris Felix. Nowadays, players take the bus and, and things along those lines, and I'm, but they have all the amenities. What was a road trip like when you played for the Sioux Greyhounds? And for those that don't know that might be listening, where is the Sioux in relation to the rest of the league? Is there anybody even close? No, our closest game would be the, the Sudbury Wolves, which is three hours away, and then you start going down south. Uh, if you go east, you got your Oshawa, Peterborough uh, area. Then you got your Kitchener's, uh, uh, Belleville back in the day, uh, Brantford. Uh, then the Central, your Toronto Marlies, and and those teams uh, right there. But I, 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 every road, every game on the road, except sometimes you do a one nighter in the Sudbury and back on a Wednesday. But everything else was usually three games. We'd leave a day ahead. You'd be leaving on Wednesday play uh, maybe Thursday, Friday, off Saturday, play Sunday, and then uh, an eight-hour bus ride home. And how hard is that to balance your schooling then? It's it's tough. And again, you have to be able to do it. You bring your books and stuff on the road. And now not cheating. You got to remember, everybody in the Sioux loves their hockey. So the teachers like their hockey. Uh, it's incredible town. So they knew that we were gone. And you got the thing, don't worry about this chapter, but read this chapter. And don't worry about that. Read this. So they did help you along. And they, they, they knew we were, we were gone so much that it would be really hard. So they, they, they did their share to help us also. Did you almost feel like a local celebrity? Uh, all the time. It, it was uh, it's incredible. I want to mention that too. Now you got to remember the games are on the radio. I've never played on the radio before. I don't. I I don't get to hear the radio because the game's going on. Now you come back to back to Sault Ste. Marie after a Sunday after a road trip, and you just be going to the bank on Monday, and and somebody behind you you've never met before would say, "Wow, that must have been a a pretty good game last night in Ottawa," and you look like a were you there or met. Then you find out the, the, the steel plants, our biggest uh, industry here, 
everybody's got the game on from, uh, like I said, the whole town listens to the game. Lucky back in the day, we, we won. We were, we had a lot of success. We won four, four division championships in my last year. We won the Ontario league. So we had a big following and, uh, they, they loved their hockey. So they were listening all the time on the radio. And that's why you're, you're walking around saying, how do you know who I am? But that's, uh, that's the way Sault Ste. Marie is. Did anybody, any other kids in the high school, I mean, this is the, the part that like gets me is you're almost a celebrity at your high school, but that creates a whole nother bunch of issues. I mean, it's like the the theory, and I'm not saying you guys were going to the bar, even though you might've gone to a bar once or twice, um, <laughs> is, you know, it's like the tough guy that sees the, the, the policeman at the bar and challenges him. Did people come up to you guys and, 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 and give you crap and, and not try to rub you guys the wrong way, but was that ever an issue with jealousy, I guess? Uh, it it might have been a little bit, but it wasn't uh, until later on uh, after my playing days here that I talked to guys in school that about it. Because, again, uh, almost like any any high school, we did have our red leather jackets, which, again, I was very proud of when I was 16 to be wearing that that jacket. And the guys wore them. We all, had, we all went to the same school. We all hung out together. Uh, you know, we were the we were the ones that uh, you got the pretty girls. We got everything, and we had our tough guys with us as well. So nothing was was really nobody was really challenged that way. But we were the the walk of the walk, which was was kind of it was a nice feeling. And oh, for sure. again, till after like you you're stealing all the girls and everything. They, it's, it was it was it was a lot of fun. I still can't get over some of the guys that came through this organization. John Van Beesbrook, we haven't touched on him. So many different players, but you eventually become the team captain of the Sioux Greyhounds, and this was a, a couple seasons uh, after your rookie season. I know we're skipping ahead a little bit. How did that all come about? Um, I'm not positive. I, I think I, uh, after my first rookie year, getting getting a good feel for the league and, and learning a little bit and, and really, I guess, pay attention and pay attention to my game, uh, again, got a little bit better, understood a little bit more, a little faster, a little bigger, a little stronger, and uh, and it just carried me through. And then I, I think Crispy and Sam and then some of the guys felt that, that I, w- I was a leader and uh, – they wanted me to be the captain. I, I, again, I didn't get, I didn't ask for it, but they, you know, again, for little, all kinds of success, you do need somebody to be leading the team. And of course, who could be better than Chris Felix? We all know that. <laughs> but, yeah. you, you know, you're the captain. You've got so much talent in this league. Is the NHL on everybody's mind? Are people, is that when you reach this level, is it like, okay, I'm that much closer and is everybody talking about kind of setting themselves up for the next stage? Well, I think so. They'd like to, because you—the biggest thing is you. Because the the other part about Sault Ste. Marie being so far away, we didn't we didn't get the good benefit of having the scouts come here. So you got to remember, every time the scouts would come and watch us play, we'd be on a road trip. We'd be uh, two and three nights, our third game. So we didn't get a fair. Let us have a a, a week's rest and let, bring these other teams on the bus to to watch. So. It was a nice feeling to know the scouts were there. And again, with, with so many guys, some of the guys were already drafted. So you knew they were watching a certain player, certain people. And, and, you, and you always hope to, to get that sniff, if you, if you say. Do guys that are drafted play with a little bit of an edge on their shoulder? Or, or uh, is, there a, is there kind of that cockiness, maybe? Because I would think if you're drafted, that, you know, I mean, yeah. you, you've got stuff uh, yeah, on the line. It, 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 
Yeah, it is a little more. It is a little bit of cockiness, but at the end of the day, the guys that aren't have just as much to prove to say, "Hey, I'm just as good as that guy who he is." And then again, I remember Crispy telling some of our guys that were drafted, "Hey, you know the Boston scouts here, the uh, the Toronto scout, whoever's whatever scouts here, letting the, our guys know that hey, it'd be a good time for you to play one of your best games, which would also help." our cause and his own cause to, you know, Crispy, Crispy's a former pro player. He talks to all of them. The, yeah. the scouts, scouts are ex-players. So, you know, they want to know, Hey, how's my boy doing? How's my boy doing? So he, he give a fair answer and, and then go and talk to, to our guys and say, Hey, they're, they're really high on you. They, they want to see you play. So it, it was good that way. You talk about scouting and I still can't get over. I'm looking at the rosters that uh, you, the, the teammates that you played with. And it's a who's who of NHLers in the 90s. Jeff Bukaboom, Ken Sabarin, um, so many players. Was there a guy that didn't make it that you played with that you went, man, I thought that guy should have made it and for whatever reason just didn't get the opportunity? Well, one of the ones was uh, Wayne, Wayne Gruel. He was, I believe, second or third round pick to the Quebec Nordiques. Uh, he's the leading scorer in, uh, on, in, in Greyhound history. He's got to be up there in the OHL in the top, uh, I'm not sure, top five or ten. And the problem back then, Wayne, I think, was only five foot ten. He would have been ideal if the game was the way it is now. But you got to remember, back then, it was a big man's game. You got cross-checked six times in front of the net. You got hooked from center ice all the way to the blue line. Then you released the guy. Now, nowadays, you put one hand on the stick, touch his gloves. Oh, they're calling it. it. Yeah, they're it's calling a, it's it. It's a penalty. Yeah. So, so it's the wrong error, the wrong time. I'm, I'm in that same category where I'm like a whatever, a Ryan Ellis, uh, the, the small guy from New Jersey back in the day. That was my style of game. But in the 80s, you, you just took the, took the biggest guy and then cross-checked the hell out of him. I'm looking at Wayne's numbers. 59 <laughs> goals, 78 assists, 137 points in 70 games. Yeah. Today he would run train on the league. He yeah. would he would be a Briere or, or 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 somebody along those lines. It's crazy how just the timing of everything is different. Uh, I've always heard that junior players in the OHL were getting paid. Were you guys getting anything? Were you were, were, would you have enough to live on? No, it, it was peanuts. I I think uh, my first year was like thirty five dollars a week. Might have went to forty. Might have went to fifty. I think it's over a hundred now. But it it, it it was it was something. You got to remember, I'm not, I'm not, I'm 16 years old. I, I, my parents were still buying my sticks and my skates and my gloves. So to have all that supplied and, you know, a little bit of money, it, it was, it was, uh... it was paradise, man. You're, you know, <laughs> and back in the 80s, that's equivalent to 200 bucks now. You're a big right. man on campus walking around high school when it came Friday night. Exactly, exactly. And when you seen mom and dad on the road, mom would slip you a 50 or a 100. So you, you always had a little bit extra. Nothing wrong with that. And I, I guess I wanted to, um, kind of circle back with you did, did the Sioux Greyhounds do anything else to assist you guys with the day-to-day -day life and you know now you hear about guys they have the tutors but more than that they have the off-ice training they have access I, I guess what I'm trying to find is when did you really start to realize like this is the OHL at the time was the big time when did agents start hanging out when did you start seeing the personal trainers stuff like that well it's funny we never had that back then there was no uh the training never Back then, it, the training was so opposite to what it is now that uh, the we, we back in the day we were training to be bodybuilders, not hockey players. So you know it was a bench press. If you could do five hundred pounds this many times, that was it. Everything that we did for weights, 
had nothing to do with hockey, you know, for nowadays with stamina and leg strength and, uh, you know, your jumping and, and, and all that for power and to be able to back in, in the day, you know, curls, the bench press, some squats, and, and, and that was it. Nobody had that, the training technology and everything till then, then till I went to my first pro camp. And then you have a, a trainer that you get your book and they did this and it in the summertime and you, you know, one day you're training for sprints, one day you're training for di- distance, uh, all kinds of things till, till now today when everybody's doing it, uh, everything. And agents weren't really hanging around. Like now you hear stories about agents at these Bantam tournaments and peewee tournaments that are on the prowl. What, when did you kind of uh, see agents for the first time? Yeah, that you know, there, there, that was a little bit, but they were more so for your, you know, your Francis, your eighteen, your nineteen-year-old guys that had already been drafted had these agents. They, we didn't even, you didn't even need an agent until uh, you were eligible for the draft, and if you were high enough to be. To, to get up there so a couple would approach you and you know ask if they could represent you and uh see we had a couple local guys in, in the Sioux that that you know you had to realize where your ability was and how high you thought even if you were going to get drafted if, if you really needed one so it, it was it was uh kept your eyes open for your stars like francis and van beesbrook and all that to to see them talking with their agents but the rest of us it was nothing like it is today and you went on to have a very successful career you played all over the world in the nhl every league you won championships you've you did everything but you were never drafted no Playing in the OHL, seeing the guys around you getting drafted, was that frustrating? And and why do you think maybe you weren't picked like necessarily somebody else was? Which I think is a compliment to you, considering you had to do it the hard way. You had to come up without with, without somebody sticking their neck out for you. You had to earn it yourself. Yeah, that that, that was tough. And then every year with the, with the draft, uh, again, uh, good teammates and friends of mine, uh, uh, Jeff Bukaboom, uh, first pick to to the Oilers back again. Jeff, very tough, hard-nosed defenseman, different style. Jeff could play the, the hard game, but if you looked at his numbers, maybe seven goals, 14 assists. I'm coming in at a 100-point season and can't, can't get a sniff, but I'm too small. It's like, well, we'll teach Jeff how to skate. Again, Ken Sabern, a big, strong, tough guy, uh, what, three goals, again, under, under 20 points, and they're getting drafted, and I'm not. That, that, those are it's hard to 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 fathom but again like i said because the game was so different back then uh the small guy couldn't survive uh, the big the big man's game uh, like it was to your point 70 games 32 goals 61 points or 61 assists 93 points ken sabrin and i'm not knocking ken when i say this 63 games 7 goals 13 po- uh, 13 assists 20 points uh, you know, again, a teammate and a good friend of mine, and I, I wish him all the best. And it was good. What does it go, second or third round to Calgary? Yeah, he went up there. Let me find out what, because uh, I have uh, this right in front of me. Yeah. He definitely went high. He went second round, 33rd overall. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, you nailed it, and he had 157, 139 penalty minutes, whereas you only had 77. It just, it's amazing how different the era was back then. Exactly, exactly, and that, that's that was the tough part. Uh, that's a tough part to swallow. Like again, not uh, these guys are. You know, I, don't, I don't even know what to say. Like big, uh, awkward, uh, body checking defenseman. Where I put myself in the skilled uh, uh, category. 
all the all the tough situations, the offensive situations, the game on the line situations. But these guys did their job. They 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 fought their way through. They did what they had to do. But why are they getting recognized and the, and the small skilled guys are are getting passed by? My hat's off to you because I will tell you, I think a lot of people, including myself, possibly would have just said, "Heck with this! I can't make it. I'm done." And yeah. you just kept going. What kept you going? Um, I, I think right at, well, I, before my fourth year, I did go to the New Jersey uh, Devils training camp and, and got a little bit of a sniff there. But that was when they were only their uh, second or third year in the league and they were just bringing all kinds of guys in for tryouts. But when you realized that you were just there, that they had enough guys to scrimmage uh, mm-hmm. with. Their team was all picked. But again, when you're young and you're like, wow, man, you got a T-shirt, a hat, a, a gym <laughs> bag. Oh, wow, this, uh, this is like the bigs. Uh, it, it was good. So then after that, then come and play in my fourth year and getting a, a good taste of what it really takes to get to that next step. Kind of hoping for an invite, maybe sign an American League contract and uh, and then go from there and see, see what happens. Lucky again with Sam McMaster being a very smart hockey man, gets a hold of Dave King and Hockey Canada. I get the invite to try and, again, that, that's now that back to my style, the big ice surface, the Olympic, Olympic hockey is not like, again, OHL or, or the NHL. It's a lot of skilled hockey. So sure enough, uh, Dave King invites me out to, Cal- out to Calgary and uh, the rest is more or less is history. I, I keep improving, keep doing better and uh, come uh, 1988, uh, hello Calgary. I know that you loved playing for the Sioux Greyhounds. It was, uh, from what you and I have talked off air, it was probably one of the highlights of your career. And I'm assuming that you made some great friendships during that time. Who were some of the players you were really close with? Oh, back then, Wayne Gruel was one of my uh, four-year uh, buddies that I played with. Uh, even Stevie Graves right now. A couple of us married Sioux girls. Uh, Stevie did. Uh, I see him quite about and. Uh, the, the local guys that still stayed around here, Mike Oliverio, um, uh, Terry Tate still here. Um, uh, talk it more or less when I see him on and off the uh, outside of hockey. Like again, that's where you you make this friendship. You move on and you're you're playing American League or pro. You run into a, like an, an old Greyhound alumni, and even though you're on opposite teams, it's like well, we were brothers for three four years together, and, and it's a bond that'll never be broken. And that was something I actually wanted to chat with you about is as you would go on through your career, you run into these players again and you have this this common thread. Did that spread across the entire league or, or was it really only guys with the Sioux? Because I would think over the next 20 years of your life, you would constantly be playing against some of the same guys. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you get a little bit of a, you get older and more mature and you get a bit of a mutual respect for, for most of the guys. Of course, you're going to have a, a couple knuckleheads that are still trying to fight their way, prove themselves to, to the next level. But for the, for the most part, you remember uh, a Scott Stevens in Kitchener and, like I said, Al McGinnis. I went, he was in Calgary when we were there with the Olympic team. So, you know, it was nice. Al, Al treated me like a like a, an OHL friend, uh, which, was, which was a nice feeling. We had, like, respect for each other, kind of, even though he had a fantastic career. But still, it was nice to him to, to recognize me and, and, like, you know, treat me like a, like a, like a friend. Looking back all these years, how would you summarize your experience in junior hockey? I loved it. Uh, I the, 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 the disappointing thing about junior hockey is when you get here, you're so excited and it's fantastic. 
but your mind goes two years ahead. You can't wait to leave because then, yeah. uh, let's say whatever team uh, you're going to uh, let's use Washington for example. Uh, I can't wait to get to Baltimore in the American League, and I can't wait to get to that next step. But if you were to rewind it, Junior was was the best time ever. You with the bus rides and your teammates, and when you 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 win and lose together, and, you, and you're you're there four years more or less with with each other, except for guys that that are a little older and move on, but. It was a fantastic uh, start, and, and it was pro hockey right there at, at 16 years old. Unbelievable feeling. And then when you move on and all that, everybody talks about, okay, tell me about your past. Everybody goes back to their junior days. Well, when I started with the Sioux Greyhounds, blah, 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 blah. So it, it was, it's amazing. And, and even to this day, I still go watch the Hounds and, uh, and, and enjoy it. And I would think that the Hounds would make you an ambassador to their team because you have done so much for them. But it just seems to me that I don't know if they do a lot for their alumni or not. But if they don't, they should. And uh, I, I'm, put, I'm going on the record and saying that. Chris, we've talked. I know you've been on the, the podcast before and told everybody what you're up to. But just a friendly reminder, what are you doing nowadays? Uh, nowadays, I'm, uh, I'm here in the Sioux. I have my two children, uh, my wife and two children. My, again, I love the Sioux so much. Uh, dated the Sioux girl uh, in the 80s. We're boyfriend girlfriend for a long time, and and now she's my wife of twenty nine years, and uh, and uh, life's fantastic. Uh, our son's uh, he's third year dental school. Our our daughter just finished uh, her fourth year uh, science and going to head to medical school. So, uh, and again, back here in the Sioux, uh, working at one of the steel plants, which is one of the, the top industries here and uh, enjoying the four seasons from snowmobiling in the winter to motorcycle in the summer to just just enjoying life. And is there and you, you mentioned that there are some guys that you talk to from from your days. I always let people share if there's one story or anything like that that they want to share to kind of close things out. Is there anything funny or anything that you can share uh, that you want to share to kind of summarize your days in junior? I'm just trying to think of one. Uh, oh well, I'll, I'll give you one. That was fun. So remember, I said we had the your head your head trainer, and then uh, you had a a couple of the kids that uh, that would help. Well, we had these. Uh, we they were the twinners. They were actually twins, but they were you know maybe thirteen, fourteen years old. But again, excited to be helping the greyhounds mm-hmm. and being around everybody. And but they 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 did get abused a little bit because again they're kids. So. Every time now and then we, we would need something, and so we'd send a uh, hey Jake, go get me a left skate lace. I need a left one. Meanwhile, you get there, there's his own left one, so he'd go and ask Mike, the trainer, and he knew he was we were playing a joke. And no, oh, he'd come back, no, oh, there is no left skate lace. Well, then give me a right one, you know, <laughs> that way. And, and then, uh, Jake, hey, I need a go, go get me a bucket of steam, we need uh, some steam. Uh, he'd go and ask the trainer again and come back. And, you, you know, you love teasing those guys and you couldn't wait to come up with a, with another one. And and another funny story was even with Crispy. So we had the – he didn't have a, a shower in his uh, office down there. So after practice, he'd come and shower in the big room with that. And sure enough, he was near the end and we couldn't wait. We'd always hang around, grab the bucket of ice and toss it right <laughs> over on him. He'd hear you, son of a bitch. And then, and then we'd take his house coat and his towel and everything. So we'd have not Mike. Mike, where's my towel? <laughs> so he remember those days. Those were some good times. So it was fantastic. Thank you once again, Chris, for coming on.
for another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History. This was his second go-around interview with us, and I want to thank him for taking time again for joining us. Enjoyed hearing those stories. Loved hearing his uh, impression of Terry Crisp towards the end of the interview. I got a good kick out of that. Anyways, just to kind of round things up and and let people know kind of where the podcast is standing, uh, we're going to go ahead and I have one more interview we're going to air next week. It's with a former NHLer. We're doing it on the first year of the Atlanta Thrashers. And then that's it for season one. We're going to go ahead and I'm going to take off a few months, bank some interviews and kind of get geared up for season two, which will be back next year. We're going to do some different stuff in addition to some hockey history. We're going to do a little bit of minor league stuff. I know people have requested that. Um, We're also going to talk to some executives and some ownership. So really looking forward to continuing to grow the podcast and expand it. In the meantime, everything is still up in the archives. If you want to go back, you want to listen to any of the old interviews, you want to listen to Darcy Hordachuk, Mike Lawler, Darren McCarty, they're all going to be there. I'm going to keep those up. I'm also planning on releasing one or two during the summer just to kind of keep people interested. So if you're not subscribed, please subscribe to it on iTunes or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Also follow us on social media. I'll be doing stuff over the summer. We'll be doing a little bit of hockey talk on Facebook and on Twitter. And uh, please continue to share the podcast. It's been really great to see the listenership grow. I really appreciate it. It's kind of neat to see where everyone's listening. We have a huge concentration in California. And believe it or not, Spain and England. I was really surprised by that. Uh, but hey, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad to hear that uh, this thing's getting all over the world. So talk to you next week for our final episode of Season 1. And have a great weekend for those in the United States. Enjoy Memorial Day. Talk to you soon.